In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Always look on the light side of life. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. Good morning, Cleveland. Welcome to the fourth of our RIP Sashi shows. This was the day, uh, the 7th of December 2017, where it was taken from us. And this has just been a week looking at analytics in sport, the salary cap, and what the future holds. So to wrap up the week, I've got Kev Cole from the Director of Data and Analytics at Roto Grinders and one of the leading figures of Running Backs Don't Matter Twitter. So how are you, Kev? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Actually, you know what? I, I don't think we discussed this is that I have a little background with the Browns myself. Uh, prior to Sashi's departure, so the offseason in 2017, I was actually talking with a lot of people in the analytics department about potentially working there. Now, it didn't end up working out, but I did visit uh, Berea and all that stuff. So, God, I mean, it was. I remember the day that uh, the day that the guillotine fell on Sashi. I was I was kind of very glad not to not to have been there. But it's good to see that nobody else has been has been ushered out from the analytics department. It was a surprise how much it was kept together. I, I was yeah. just not there going, "When's Paul De Podesta going to get fired? Oh, we'll wait till after the draft, and then everyone's going to be gone. Andrew Perry will be gone." And is that a surprise from you as well that they're still in the building? It is a surprise. I mean, I know that most people have lamented their unique uh, management structure, the fact that everyone reports to the Haslams. But in this case, it's, it must have saved Deep Podesta because it seemed like Dorsey coming in was given pretty strict instructions about what he could and could not do. One of those things being fire Hugh Jackson. So maybe it's not, it's not, it's not great there, but clearly that was a directive. And it was also, you know, Paul Deep Podesta, he reports directly to uh, Jimmy Haslam. So I feel like it wasn't that Haslam lost faith in analytics or what can be done there. It was more needing to make a change, feeling the pressure. I mean, he signed off on the AJ McCarron trade, right? So, so he was obviously tilting at that point and not making good decisions. Um, so he, he, need, he needed to replace, he felt he needed to replace someone at the top and that's what he did, but then he kept the rest of the structure in place. So because I didn't know that, if, it's all right to ask. Yeah. People think analytics department in the NFL is sort of two or three guys sat in a dark room in front of computers. Yeah. What is it? And what, and what was it like? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I never worked for them, but just knowing that, I mean, for instance, as part of the, the screening process, I did a fairly in-depth analysis on the kicking game. Um, it was looking a little bit back in time. It was saying at the end of 2015, uh, whether you would keep the kicker or not, kind of do an analysis. So a lot of things like that. I mean, you're going to be looking at the major – the major areas, which are free agency, the draft when it comes to player personnel, and then the, the cap, kind of how, how you should be spending money in those three areas. So it's doing different analysis there. And then they have one gentleman, uh, Dave Giuliani, who is really focuses on more of the end game stuff. So he's going to be uh, tasked with preparing for the upcoming matchups, meeting with the coach every week to go over different scenarios, letting them know 
you know, obviously you're, you're telling the coach in generally you should be going for it more often. You should be doing this in certain scenarios, but you're also going to let them know specific to the team that you're playing uh, going down to not only how good is that defense versus how good is your offense? How do they match up? What's the weather conditions like everything else like that, just letting them know whether it tilts in one direction or not. So, so it's, it's all those different things together. And then with the NFL, a big, big reason they were looking to hire someone else, even though they had a larger analytics department than probably any team out there. I don't think many teams have more than two people. Um, the reason they were looking to hire somebody else, which would have brought their team to four people, is that there's this spatial data. There's this tracking data that's now available to teams. So they have the X, Y, and Z coordinates for every single player for every single team. So it's, it's a dramatic amount of data, and the work that you could be doing there is pretty huge. So there's there, I'm sure there's a lot going on in the Browns organization, probably a lot more than what you're seeing in almost any other football team. Well, that is fascinating. And thank you very much for that insight. It was a, a, a nice gem that I never even thought was happening um, on this show. So this is the fourth show and it's, we wanted to look ahead. Obviously, Sashi was taking in the run up to sort of what would have been the big 2018 off season. Many people have said John Dorsey saved the Browns. Uh, we would have, uh, the Browns would never have taken a quarterback. But I've heard all sorts of stuff. Um, so we're just going to look through at sort of the overall 2018 off-season and discuss are they good moves, are they moves Sashi would have made, um, mm. and sort of discuss from there. So uh, I think the first place to start would be the trades because they sort of the first thing that happened in the off-season. Sure. So everyone who listens to the pod will know I am no lover of the Jarvis Landry signing. <laughs> right, right. What, what did you make of that? I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I don't think – it was a good signing. I don't think anyone can label as a good or a great signing. You're, you're definitely not getting value paying him as a top five wide receiver. And just from a, you know, an analytical perspective, he's someone who gathers a lot of targets, a lot of receptions. He had decent efficiency. Now the best way to look at it is not necessarily how many yards per reception. Cause he's always very low there, but how many yards per target? Cause it's really each time you're spending a down is kind of the most important how you're doing. So he was very good um his sophomore year uh sophomore season and then he kind of went down last year with Miami and then this year obviously he's way down and he's kind of taken on a whole new role which he doesn't seem to fit so I think it's it brought in some stability which is probably important the contract they can get out after a couple of years with I think a four and a half million dollar cap hit so it's not detrimental I mean I, I don't hate it I don't love it but when we're talking about fourth round picks fourth round picks are not nothing I mean they're they're low success rate but as we saw this year, you know, you can get someone like Avery in the fifth round. So fourth round picks, you don't want to just throw away. Yeah, I think when the move was made, obviously thought the contract extension would be there. And I did say to people at the time, it's not a move I'd make. But if you keep him for one year, sort of give some experience to that team, let him hit free agency. You probably, if you play free agency right, you'll get back a fifth or a sixth. Um, it would have been sort of a short-term move that you just push that fourth and seventh down the line and maybe get something similar it wouldn't have been a bad move in that aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, they just were not going to be able to attract free agent talent. And I think there was a premium in the offseason. If you look at all the moves, I mean, I'm sure we're going to go over some of these other ones, but you look at a lot of the moves to say, we're not going to win, let's not do zero wins this, this year. We can't do zero wins this year. A lot of it, you know, then came into thinking, let's, let's toe the line with this. Baker Mayfield won't start a game nonsense and all this other stuff that ended up happening. So I think that was part of it. They said, we're, we're not going to attract free agents being an 0-16 team, being a total question mark at quarterback. So let's essentially just buy this guy who's, who was going to be a free agent because the Dolphins were going to let him off of the tag eventually. They weren't going to keep him on the tag, I don't think. So 
that that was there. Now this offseason is going to be a little bit of a different situation. They should be an attractive destination to free agent wide receivers. There aren't a lot of them out there, but they should be able to at least bring some of them in where they probably wouldn't do that in the past. No, I, I think there, there, there's some sort of talent in your uh, Funches and a few others if they hit free agency. Maybe now uh, DJ Moore's there. Um, that might yeah. be an opportunity. Tyrell Williams is out there. John Brown, perhaps. You know, one of these guys. I mean, I, I do think it brings an important element to the game, although we did see that uh, Callaway played a little bit better last week. So that was the element I think has been missing from, from the passing game. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. So on to the next one, Tyrod Taylor. Um, I said from... Before that even happened, Teddy Bridgewater was the person for me. Obviously, you didn't know what price that would be um, that early in the um, window, but he, he was the one I really wanted, and he's now gone on and obviously profited a third-round pick rather than giving one up. What was your view on Tyrod? Obviously, it gives some some stability at the position. I thought if we, if we went anyone other than Baker and we needed someone to sit for a year like a Darnold, I thought there was more sense, but it didn't make too much sense to me alongside Baker. It's one of those things where I think at the time, I mean, it's weird how the, the scheduling works where it's kind of the opposite in the NBA, uh, where here you have to make these decisions before the draft. So, I mean, for instance, Carlos Hyde's another one, right, where, where you're, you're getting kind of a duplicate asset. I mean, they obviously knew they were going to draft a quarterback. And again, I think the real focus was we're not going 0-16. So we drafted a rookie last year. Now that was a mid-second round rookie, uh, someone who everyone thought was going to need some seasoning, um, not someone like Baker, Baker Mayfield. But, you know, we drafted a rookie last year. We don't want that to happen again this year. So I wasn't against it. Um, the pick, you know, early third, that, that's a good pick. So, so that's, that's a pretty decent pick that they gave up for it. I think the problem was more once they brought him in, they didn't really seem to have a good idea of how they wanted to use him. The offense didn't seem to necessarily work that well. And I think it was a fallback in case, in case Baker failed. I mean, I think Baker is one of those picks where at least going into it, I was really – assuming that he was going to do well. But I do think, you know, Darnold was the guy that they, a lot of people thought they were going to pick. And he was one of the youngest rookie quarterbacks. He's the youngest rookie quarterback to ever start week one, I think for 30 or 40 years or something like that. So he would have been extremely young. So I don't mind it basically. And I think, again, it's something where it's a sunk cost at this point, but something that, that, that could have been worth it if they would have gone Darnold or someplace else. Yeah. And I think I'd take it out on Tyrod a bit, but I think it was a lack of a plan from Hugh and others of going, What's the point where we're going to go, Baker's better than Tyrod, let's move on. Um, because I could see after sort of the third preseason game, I was like, right, just trade Tyrod now. It's, it's time to move on. Um, but I think they just waited too long to make that move. And who knows if um, we wouldn't have had the injury to Tyrod, how long would he have actually been in there? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the change was probably coming no matter what, but you're right. It was, I mean, it was excellent timing. Um, that, that it happened the way it did. It wasn't anything career-threatening or something like that to Tyrod, which was good. Uh, again, I, I feel like they just weren't using his legs enough. He just, he's not a passer, and again, they had, they're having so many problems with the wide receivers and other things that it was just a, it was just a poor situation for them. So the Demarius Randall, um, and I think this is one I'll give Dorsey credit. I don't think would have been on the cards without the team from Green Bay coming into the front office as well. Um, oh, what a trade. Um, it's paid off really well. Yeah, it has paid off well. Yeah, this is something where I don't know if they would have cut bait on Kaiser this quickly. The big thing with the trade and the reason that they're able to get him is that Randall's on the last year of his rookie four-year deal. Um, I don't think there was an exercised fifth-year option, and even if so, it's a little bit expensive on him. So it's, it's one of those situations where 
it's, you don't really have great upside from it beyond this year because if he plays well, you're going to have to pay him next year. And I think that's what they will end up doing. But it was, it was turning an asset into something. So I think in, in that way, it was good. Yeah, because uh, after the trade, before we even saw him on the field, we had to exercise that option. Luckily, where we've moved him to safety rather than corner, and that one year, he loses a lot of the money he would have got as a uh, fifth-year option on a cornerback rather than a safety. So it's a, a nice little cap-saving move there um, yeah. that came out of nowhere. Um, the players that went out, um, I'm going to run through some names, and it's just if you want to pick any of them out. You had, obviously, Corey Coleman gone, Sean Coleman gone, Hogan gone, Kessler gone, McCordy gone, um, Shelton um, and Jamar Taylor, um, and uh, did I say him? Josh Gordon. Literally all of them for sixes or seventh. The only one that went for a third was Danny Shelton, but we gave up a fifth and it went back a year. So we moved up about 15, 20 spots. So there was no real value on anything that went out, which was disappointing. Yeah, you know, I, I was someone who was, who was critical of Corey Coleman being traded at the time just because of the state of the wide receivers. He hasn't been able to really catch on anywhere. I mean, he's playing for the Giants now, but it's, he's, he's, he's out there dropping passes for the Giants and, uh, and doing kick returns. So I think that was, that was fair that he was gone. Sean Coleman is probably the guy where I don't really necessarily understand that. I mean, he was the, listed as, I believe, the starting tackle the as he was traded right he was he was on the depth chart as a starting tackle and we've seen what's happened with that position I mean they brought in Greg Robinson and now he's starting so that's one that doesn't make much sense that smells like old regime let's just let, let's toss them out and make room for our their undrafted free agent that they liked um and and of course Hubbard that they, that they brought in the rest of them I mean Kessler is probably the one guy who I don't really understand he, he seems like a good backup type of quarterback so 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 trading him for nothing I, I don't know if I if I really under, understand that necessarily but um other than that I don't see anything big I mean McCourty is is also one which is a little bit puzzling because last year they signed him to a two-year deal and the real benefit of that is that he plays really well in year one and you have him for a very cheap second year so they would have had him on a cheap second year this year and obviously they would have needed the depth so uh, of any of the deals McCourty is probably the the, the most head scratching and then I would say Coleman and maybe Kessler the rest of them I don't think it's a big deal um Danny Shelton you know he's a run stopping uh the nose nose tackle type so I don't think it's a big it's a big issue letting him go yeah I think the reason McCourty had to go and probably the same reason Kaiser had to go is Hugh stayed I think if it was the other way around they keep them um obviously McCourty went public at the end of the season and complained at the way Hugh had treated the players and kept carting them off in the media saying we might not be a Super Bowl team but don't complain that we're all lack talent and we're all rubbish because it destroys the locker room. Um, and I, I think it was a, a, a fair comment from him. Obviously one that he wasn't a massive contributor on the Browns, but did a solid job. Carl Nassib, um, who obviously shot to fame in a uh, hard knocks for his uh, questionable financial advice, um, <laughs> but wasn't the worst financial advice um, obviously going on in the Browns due to Kendrick's uh, coming and going. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's now a massive, um, Peace contributor for the Bucks, um, and recently just moved Vinnie Curry out of the way. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a big one. I mean, it's again. I think when you bring in a new uh, a new player personnel person, the old guys are just are given. You're you're giving up on a known for for a complete unknown. Uh, I mean, what ended up happening is obviously they drafted Chad Thomas. Uh, they brought in Chris Smith. 
Um, and then they, they made a couple of wi uh, waiver wire pickups uh, at the end of camp there, and that's when they decided to let Nassif go. And it, to me, that was a mistake. I mean, he, he doesn't have – you know, he was a 2016 pick, so he was already going to be – he was still going to have a year left on his contract next year. So I, I don't uh, – that one, again, didn't make sense to me, but that, that's typically what happens when you bring in new, new, uh, someone at the top of player personnel. Right, so on to the 2018 free agent signings. Um, we'll just run – through the notable ones, there's some minor players that I don't think even need mentioned. TJ Carey was obviously one of the few. And the one thing I did like take um, Drew Stanton out is they're all 28 and younger, and they're all right. more or less on sort of a, a few year deals rather other than sort of EJ Gaines that got one year due to concussions, which is what I like to see. I, unless some sort of in a Super Bowl window and just add in one year talent to fill a gap, sort yeah. of three year deal. 28, they've got a solid line of contribution. So TJ Carey was a bit questionable. So he's, he's obviously had a couple of good games, shut down, well, shut down in the loosest sense. Uh, Julio Jones has kept into 100 yards, but didn't have a big impact. What was your sort of view on that one at the time? Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I, I think they needed bodies. And just as for an overarching thing, as far as with the, for the free agent signings, I liked. Like you said, going for guys who are generally younger, um, not getting too committed, not just completely trying to blow the doors off of a free agent deal and just to bring in talent and being impatient in that sort of way. So again, it's, it's kind of no harm for some of these. Some of these contracts have upside and they're going to have to continue to fill out the roster through the draft. And then in free agency now, you know, they might actually be able to attract some of the, some of the, the higher names now that they say, hey, we're going to an exciting team. We're going for a team that, that has a bunch of wins. We're going from a team that's only – uh, a few players and an additional year of experience for, for the quarterback from being a, a solid playoff contender. How risky sort of as someone that looks wider across the NFL is free agency? Because obviously you, you hear that, oh, that person busted. It always seems like there's never any real value in free agency, especially when it comes to that tier one talent. And that's why it was basically tier two and tier three talent we added. And I really like that because generally you I can't remember the last sort of tier one free agent that I went, yeah, I wanted them and they did really well. Yeah. I mean, generally you're overpaying. I mean, th there's a strong incentive for players to stay with the team that drafted them in the NFL, uh, primarily because of the franchise tag. And then also because you have the ability to extend players well in advance of the end of their contract. So unless they're first round picks, these contracts are minimal. They're getting minimal pay. So when you're extending someone, not only are you giving them a good contract, but you're sometimes lopping off a, a year or, or more of minimal pay. And, and so players are willing to take a discount to do that. So you're generally not going to find great assets. Um, the, the best players that you can find in free agency are ones that are in that you know, mid-tier sort of range. You can find veteran talent guys who aren't, who aren't going to be the top tier guys and Obviously, there are lots of minimum players floating around there. I mean, someone who really takes advantage of this has done a great job is, is Belichick. If you look at what he does building the roster, he builds a very flat structure compared to most teams. There's not a lot of money up at, up at the top. Some people may attribute that. You know, everyone says, oh, Tom Brady discount, but even way beyond that. They're, I mean, like, if you look at their roster, sometimes they're bringing in some, some high-priced cornerbacks and other things like that, but generally they're not paying a lot. So I feel like those are generally the best deals you can do is get people in the you know, two to six, seven million dollar range year. And that sort of range is where you're going to find the most value. Yeah, I do like a lot of the stuff Bill Belichick does. And it's really interesting how he has lots of that roster on sort of the one to three percent of salary cap. Mm -hmm. Whereas most other teams, they'll have them sort of three, four, five 
high pay players and not much underneath. So a lot of middle. I did nearly fall off my chair when he took a running back in round one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> I, I mean, I joke that he's he's lost his edge. He's tilting or something. I don't know what I don't know what he's what he's up to. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I I can't. I don't even know what to chalk that up to. It, it, it happened though. Everyone makes mistakes. Maybe he was yeah. out of the office and had it on auto draft. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, Darren Fells, um, blocking tight ends. Obviously, there's not much coming out of uh, college. I, I, I think it was a good signing. I think it was a signing. Um, Sashi would have probably supported. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think I think Fells, Fells is solid. I mean, he, he's just a guy who doesn't really get open necessarily, but he's not a bad pass catcher when he when he plays there. Tight ends are fairly useful in the NFL. I mean, I know a lot of it has been made what the Rams do in their 11 personnel and then only using uh, one tight end all the time. But you, it's, it's difficult to really find that many strong wide receivers and especially for, for the Browns. So yeah, he was definitely a solid pickup. Uh, and then, and jo- you know, for Njoku, it's, it's one of those frustrating types of players, but again, extremely young player, 21 year old coming in at a position that takes a while to develop. So bringing it in, um, you know, they have DeValve there, uh, but he was a kind of a later pick. Um, so, so bringing in someone who's a veteran, someone you can count on, makes sense. Yeah, there's more or less been the move to have sort of a veteran in each room. And I, I think that's yeah. purely from leadership and sort of changed the character. Um, Gaines and Mitchell were both brought in at cornerback and done a really good job, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, I think they have. Again, that's a, just depth. Those types of depth signing are very important, especially at positions like cornerback. So next one on the list, Carlos Hyde running back. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't hate I don't hate the signing. Uh primarily because well number one, I enjoyed seeing it because then it took the specter of taking uh Saquon Barkley off of the table, probably. Um so, so I was happy about seeing that. Again, it's one of those deals where these are glorified all these contracts are glorified one year deals. Uh you don't have to spend any draft capital to get him. Um, the problem ended up being that it wasn't just viewed as a sunk cost. And once you, you know, once the, the Chubb pick was made to say, okay, well then next year we'll turn it over to Chubb. I mean, this is a running back. This is an early round running back. You've got to play that guy almost immediately. If not you, you, a few games into the season. So then he became expendable, but at the time I didn't think it was a bad deal. I, I didn't mind bringing him in. Even if you say we can hit on a, you know, a UDFA or something like that as a running back, you will, it won't necessarily happen. You know, you, you can miss on those guys. So bringing in someone you know you can rely on is fine. And as a glor- like I said, a glorified one-year deal that has no ongoing cap ramifications. Yeah, I, I quite like the idea from a perspective because I, I said to everyone at the time, it was like, we're not going to take a running back till day three. This is great. Right, and, yeah. You know, <laughs> obviously, we'll come on to the draft next, but that was, was a yeah. shock. It, it sort of yeah. it meant that there was no question of, oh, it's not a need. Um, and yeah, we got a fifth rim, so I'm happy that we took it. He's moved on and he's yeah. gone, so he can run for two yards somewhere else every time. Right. <laughs> um, tackles. Um, Chris Hubbard obviously got a quite big deal. I think that was linked to um, Todd Haley coming in. And then Greg yeah. Robinson's come in and been a revelation. Um, no one expected anything from him. I, I was yeah. quite excited as a depth. And uh, he's done a good job. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> Still, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. I mean, he took a touchdown off the board uh, last week. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's played well. I think for Hubbard, you know, he's one of these swing tackle types. You don't necessarily – again, I, the thing that, that's, that was a little bit – smelled about it a little bit is, like you said, the fact that he was coming in. It seemed like there was a relationship there. But, they, you know, they need bodies. And you really can't find tackles, uh, really solid tackles. I mean, I think we've seen 
there's been some that have come out there. I mean, Whitworth worked well for the Rams, but he's, you know, he's ancient. Uh, but he's still playing well, surprisingly, well into his 30s. He's still playing well. Then you have these other signings that have not have not gone so well. So I think it's a very tough position to find. So, again, maybe a little bit too expensive for my taste for someone like Hubbard, but at least at least you're bringing in some, some bodies that he needed position. Yeah, I think Greg Robinson might end up as our right tackle of the future. Um, we draft yeah. the tackle this year. Yeah. Um, two more left. Chris Smith, defensive end. He's been a solid contributor. Unfortunately, for the first eight games, um, Greg Williams just went, I'm going to play Ogunjobi, Garrett and the others for 90% of the snaps and then not rotate anyone, which was yeah. frustrating. And now they're rotating. The D-line's having a bit more fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mind it. The only thing that I don't like about it is it probably contributed to someone like Nassib being let go because because they brought him in um, and they weren't going to just turn around and, and, and get rid of the guy that they just brought in. So for that reason, I don't like it. Um, but, it, you know, the, they need guys taking up some of those snaps, and we've seen that recently. And the last one, Drew Stanton. Um, I, I don't mind the sort of that one veteran in the room sort of helping and pushing everything along. I know it sort of pushed a... Cody Kessler out, but for me, I don't mind that sort of one veteran figure. I, I, I really have no way to judge what sort of impact someone like Stanton has. Uh, coaches seem to value it, so I'll give some credence to it. But at the same time, I've, I, I feel guys like Baker Mayfield are going to be make, Baker Mayfield, and they're not necessarily going to need that, that sort of leadership, but it can't hurt. It did lead to the cringy moment in Hard Knocks where uh, he brings in <laughs> Drew Stanton and Baker and was like, I wanted to tell you both at the same time so no one heard it before, but we're going with Baker as the backup. And Drew's like, did you really have to drag me all the way up here to know that? I knew <laughs> that. Baker could not get him. out of that room quickly enough. That's, that's when I got the first hint that, he, that everything was just kind of in one ear and out the other. That, that what he was saying. Because he was just like, mm, 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 okay, can I leave sort of thing? So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was embarrassing. So, on to the 2018 draft. Baker Mayfield. People were saying um, every name was out there. Um, I think the only person we weren't linked to was Lamar Jackson. I think all the other four had their shot at being number one. I really liked Baker from obviously an analytics perspective. What was your view on the pick and is paying off? Yeah, I mean, I obviously was he was the right he was the right guy. He was the right pick before the draft. My only hesitation with him, um, and I didn't have much, but the only hesitation I had was that. He wasn't seen as being a top draft pick. Now, that's something where you don't really know what's going on in the process. As much as you might dig into the performance and everything like that, you know, he scored extremely high on quarterback prospect models, including the, the Football Outsiders has their model Cubase. And the interesting thing about Cubase is this model was developed and initially published by um, Andrew Healy, who works as a senior uh, strat personnel strategist for the Browns now. So he, you know, he, he broke the, the score there and had one of the best scores ever. So he was clearly the pick. But seeing that um, teams like the Jets were very interested in Baker Mayfield, supposedly that his, Baker Mayfield's agent said that his floor was, was third pick. So there's a strong possibility the Jets actually traded up thinking that they were going to get Baker Mayfield. Uh, which is kind of strange in retrospect that people are trying to make the argument that they lucked out to get Sam Dartle when in reality they may be cringing a year or two from now saying we really wanted Baker Mayfield and we thought there was no possibility that he was going to go number one. So yeah, so he was the guy, he was definitely the guy that Sashi would have taken. I know that this is a, uh, a discussion for some reason, but I know that Sashi wouldn't, I mean, there's nothing that he, he had done to that point to show that he would have gone with the safe kind of consensus pick as opposed to, 
the pick that everything is showing them that he could do and would have been strongly backed by the analytical department. Yeah, there was sort of all them little rumours after the draft of Dorsey sort of saying to people that the trade offers were dead at four once Baker had gone. Um, there was the rumours that the only other person the Giants were considering was Baker or um, Barton. Yeah. So there was a lot of love for him despite the rumours sort the of... Patriots like, rumor. I mean, the Patriots rumour. The Patriots were going to trade up to like... 20th to get him and it was like (laughs) it it was a crazy world um the draft night was terrifying um from a Browns perspective of going we're going to finish the first four picks with Josh Allen and Saquon Barkley um which would have been sort of the knife in Sashi's heart um but uh thankfully it didn't happen so the fourth pick obviously everyone was expecting Chubb we ended up with Ward um Sashi would have probably traded back I think so. I mean, who knows? There could have been enough institutional pressure on at him on him at that point. I mean, if we're talking about what would he have done if he came into the organization, this is his first draft, the, the, the roster looking exactly how it is, he definitely would have traded back. Now, there could have been a lot of institutional pressure to take a pick at that point. I wasn't that high on Ward or on Chubb. I mean, I think Chubb was seen as a guy who could be taken in that range. His, his production from a pass rushing perspective was okay, but he wasn't nearly the prospect of someone like uh, a Miles Garrett or, you know, Javanian Clowney or someone like that from, from the past. So I, I would have been fine trading back in either one of those situations. The problem is you don't really know what you would have gotten. The Bills seem like they were very set on not trading a first-round pick. Uh, but then you have teams like the Saints just throwing around, throwing, throwing around first-round picks. So I, I don't know who would have traded up. Someone may have traded up for, for Chubb. So I, I think trading back, even if it was a minimal trade back, would have been the move there. At cornerback, uh, Ward was not seen as being a Jalen Ramsey type of prospect. Um, and if you look at how you know, Jair Alexander and others have played, I think that's fair that he wasn't. So he, these are guys that you could have gotten and got an extra pick for. Uh, so I, I think that was – you could say it was a mistake, but again – you know, the people are praising Dorsey. He did well, but he literally got to take the top two players on his board. So that, that helps out. Yeah. When people say, oh, he, he, knows, he knows what he's doing when he's drafting. He got the best offensive and best defensive player. I was like, well, he got the first offensive player and first defensive player. So if he didn't... Bradley Chubb is playing pretty well now too. So I don't feel like, it's almost like you couldn't have messed that up um, if you didn't, it, you know, it, it, but it's possible you could have traded back and taken someone who didn't end up doing well. You never know. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, if we were to trade it back, Jair Alexander would have been an option there with that extra mm-hmm. pick. The top of the second, we ended up with Austin Corbett. Well, it was tackle when he was drafted, but it was sort of a, we hope he might manage to be a tackle, but he's probably going to be a interior. There's sort of rumours maybe centre now. Um, mm-hmm. And Nick Chubb, my heart just sank when we got Nick Chubb. The, the players I had my eye on were sort of um, Cortland Sutton, wide receiver, Mike Gusecki at tight end, and uh, Josh Jackson, cornerback, Number one would have been Landry. It was the Landry I was actually chanting for all off-season was the defensive end, Harold Landry. Where do you think those picks went? Yeah, I don't know what the situation is with with Corbett. I mean, he must have been seen as someone who could potentially be a tackle or or then somebody who's going to take over for Treader when his contract is up next year. But those, you know, the interior line – those those one re-signing and two free agent signings were very strong. They played extremely well. It's one of the best interior lines in the NFL. So I'm not going to say it was a wasted pick because it could end up being valuable down the road. But again, 
losing two years of, of the rookie contract, not that he necessarily would have played well from day one, but losing those two years, I just don't think a guard interior, uh, interior offensive line type prospect, unless they're other world, like we saw, like we saw from some others um, is really worth it at that point. So I wasn't for that. And obviously when it comes to Nick Chubb, I'm not someone who believes that it's impossible for a running back to have value at that spot, but he's going to have to be pretty incredible. He's going to be as incredible as he has been. And he's been more incredible than he's going to be quite honestly. I mean, you you just can't break off those long runs like, like we've seen in the past. So I was disappointed by that, but I, you know, these guys just can't help themselves sometimes. If a player's on the board, even if they have Carlos Hyde and other things, they feel like they have to make that pick. So those are two that we definitely could have gone somewhere else. Yeah, I think sort of the fourth round, you can get your sort of some possible player, sort of as a future interior D-line, um, O-line, and then also a running back. Ito Smith was the one I just said, oh, he'll be there day three, we'll grab him. Um, yeah, yeah. Pretty much to that point. Yeah, he's, he's not as good as Chubb, but in terms of value added, I don't think there's much difference. Uh, we'd have obviously had potentially an extra... Um, picking the, th- the top of the third if Tyrod wouldn't have been signed. But Chad Thomas, um, I've still got no idea why we signed a DJ. Supposedly, I mean, the, the story is that Alonzo um, Highsmith has relationship with University of Miami, and that's maybe how it ended up coming through. Yeah, but he is the – he's like the anti-Sashi pick. Uh, poor production, poor measurables – you know, he was a pretty high uh, high school prospect, I think, going in. Um, but he just hasn't produced. I mean, he just he just he checks zero boxes basically. Uh, so that that was a pick where you, it had disaster written all over it. And if you look at the snap counts, I'm not sure if he's even gotten to double digits this year. Um, I I think you might, have had eight, but I think most of them are on special teams. Yeah. Okay. Um, Antonio Callaway. Um, obviously, Dorsey is a lover of bad boys. Um, I thought Hunt um, and Reuben Foster would both be Browns by the end of the waivers, um, purely because it sort of fits his uh, habit of grabbing those sorts of players. Um, Callaway's obviously produced some nice flash moments, drops the ball, but did Sashi have really a tendency would have looked at a player like that and seen it as value? I don't know. I mean, I think much later in the draft, potentially. Um, you know, the name escapes me now, but they did take a defensive tackle who had fallen. Caleb um, Yeah, exactly. So, so, so they took him, and that was – but I believe that was in the fifth or sixth round. I don't think it was um, – sixth yeah, round, maybe. It was a sixth-round pick, and they basically said, um, as far as we're aware, everything's going to clear out, but if it doesn't, we're going to cut him. We're not going to keep him. It was very much a sort of, let's grab him, um, and if the police report comes back bad – um, finally, and he gets charged or something, he's gone. It wasn't sort of – and a sixth-round pick, take a punt. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I, so I, you know, I didn't – it was a little too early. It was almost like things worked out so well um, with, uh, with what they had done with Tyreek Hill that why not take a inferior player even earlier? It seemed like was the, was the philosophy. And, you know, the Callaway thing, I mean, it's pretty deep. It's not only did you have charges of um, sexual assault, but you also had this credit card scheme. You missed the entire year of football. And I think it even might – it seems to – if you see his play – it seems to go beyond these bonehead off the field sort of things and these, these you know, very questionable and, and 
disturbing off the field sorts of things. It's, it seems to also say, is, is this guy even zoned in all the time? And I feel like that's a problem. And that's something that you have to be concerned may never go away. Because I don't know if you ever really see that go away. So he may not ever be a guy where, I mean, and Baker was also, you know, kind of criticizing some of his route running, his other stuff, even though he's been encouraging when he fumbled. So I, I, I do think it's, it's a questionable guy. But the problem is, if you want to address that wide receiver, like we talked about, the second round would have been a great place to do that. You can find, you can find, could have found some quality guys in that round. Instead, in the fourth round, you're trying to hit a second round type of guy, and that's why you make a pick like this. Yeah, um, we're not going to look into um, sixth and seventh round and UDFA's because hey, it's crab shit when you get that level. But sure. Jannard Avery, what a pick by whoever in the uh, front office made that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was the pick where when I saw that, I go, okay, this is a pick that would have gotten a hearty recommendation from the analytics department. You know, small school. Uh, good measurables, incredible production, which is the most important thing that he had of, of everything there. So this was a this was a great pick. I'm just glad that he lasted that long and that nobody else uh, swooped in and, and took him earlier. So he's definitely a guy who checks all of those boxes. And of, of anyone in the draft, other than of course Baker Mayfield at number one, of anyone in the draft, he's the guy who's probably the more important kind of pick that you're making from from an analytics perspective because you're getting him in the later rounds. Yeah, and it's it's finding that data that can make you uh, find that smart decision later on. So that's sort of a, a run through on what the picks were. And thank you for that um, insight across the board. Which teams in the NFL need a Sashi Brown style rebuild right now? You know, I was thinking about this and I think it, it, an important perspective to have is that people associate analytics with tanking or with, a complete teardown and rebuild primarily because it attracts the most attention. The things that we saw Sam Hinkie do with the Philadelphia 76ers and then Sashi Brown do uh, with the Browns, those were that style, but I think it was that style because it was most appropriate for the goal, which is to build a sustainable winner. Most appropriate because it's a, it was a roster bereft of talent. If you bring up that 2015 Browns roster, it's pretty ugly um, combined with the fact that, you know, Alex Mack was going to leave no, pretty much no matter what. So, so you have that. You have a history of sustained losing. So a couple more years of losing isn't the worst thing in that, in that situation. And maybe there's a little, actually a little bit more patience and appreciation for when things turned around. So you kind of have to have all those elements for, for a real teardown like that. I mean, the closest thing that you can find in the NFL now, because a lot of these teams already have their, their quarterback of the future. I think the closest thing you could find if you wanted to do something, it, it's kind of an obvious pick at this point, but saying that the Raiders and what they're doing and trading away assets, they're doing it in such a sloppy and haphazard way that I don't know if it really falls into to the category. But the play there would be, if you could get something from it, you probably should have done it last offseason, is maybe if you trade away Derek Carr and then you go ahead. And if you like someone like Herbert in this draft and you're in a position to draft him, then I'm not against doing that. I don't think it has to be – that's another mistake. I think people think, oh, you have to just not draft your quarterback and stink for, for multiple years. They already have a lot of picks. I think it's about drafting the right quarterback, and they didn't feel that Deshaun Watson or Carson Wentz were, were, uh, were the right quarterback. I think at if they would have had Goff, I think they would have drafted Goff. And I, I think if Mahomes would have, would have come to them at 12 and they didn't have to pony up a, a, a ransom to go get him even higher than 10 – I think it would have taken the homes also. So it's about getting the right quarterback. So if they feel that's the right guy, go ahead and, and, and draft that and uh, trade someone like Derek Carr for some more assets and build from there. Yeah, I find it really split with the Raiders. It was like, in terms of free agent, they bring in a load of 30-plus-year-olds and get rid of a lot yeah. of 
young talent like Obi Melafonwu, um, and then there's rumours Conley and potentially Carl Joseph are on the block. And yeah. then they go and do great trades like the Clil Mac, um, where everyone's just talking about the draft picks. It was like, remember there's 17 million um, or so in spare cap that you can go out and spend on players. Yeah, um, yeah. And for me, I, I love the uh, Mac move. And if you had him in your 29th rated defence and you don't have him in your 29th rated defence in terms of uh, football outsiders, DVOA, then did he really matter that much to the Raiders? It looks good in the stats sheet, but uh, no, I, th- I think it's a good move for them. Will Sashi ever get another job in the NFL? It's possible, but not in the same capacity that he had with the Browns, I, I doubt. I mean, I think there are enough... Um, I, think, I think what you're going to have to see is probably like a Billy Bean-style former player who really... Um, embraces these sorts of things and becomes the face of doing something like that is probably more likely than someone with Sashi's background. Now, Sashi was really the cap management guy when he was with the Jaguars before coming over to the Browns. So maybe in that capacity, I could see him coming in and working for a team again, whether he'd want to do that or not, I don't know. But I, I, I just feel like the NFL, there's too much noise. There's too much speculation. There's too much of a focus for anyone to choose him where there are other options that they could probably go with who, who would, who, would, who, could, who would embrace that philosophy but then not have the baggage associated with it? Yeah, I think the, the story that came out of the weekend is that Panthers are looking to increase their amount of analytics and the stuff yeah. they do on the side. So uh, fingers crossed that'll be a, a name. Maybe not him, but people doing similar jobs in the NFL. And it, it's just annoying when you see teams doing stupid things. Christian Hackenberg being drafted is one of them. Um, it's just like, do smart stuff and... It's the frustration as a fan when you're going, no, I can tell Saquon Barkley is a bad picker too. When you have Dave Gettleman go to a press conference and start like smashing an imaginary keyboard and laughing at analytics, it was like, just, what are you doing? Um, and Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts at the top. So it was good to see Tepper come in because it's, it's more similar to what we've seen in the NBA where you have newer uh, kind of new new money new blood younger guys getting into the organization as opposed to most of these teams in the NFL are very old owners uh, been around for f- family generations things like that very much in the in insular circles that they don't look outside of so hopefully that'll start happening more in the NFL I mean if it, Haslam is progressive as an owner in certain respects he's just extremely impatient um, and can't can't get out of his own way and I think he he cares a little too much about what people think about what he's doing. And that's why he makes so many different choices, but at least he has some of the progressive uh, choices as far as what he's doing with the analytics department. So hopefully we'll see more of that in the NFL, but it's going to start, I think with, with ownership really, really having to turn over a bit more. Right. Final question. A very, very, very hot take for the Browns this off season. Um, And when we say hot, I threw something crazy out there two weeks ago of, um, Demarius Randall catch an interception, run over to a sideline and give the ball to Hugh Jackson. And uh, <laughs> hey, it, it was madness and it happened. But uh, it, it's just, it, it can be something fun. It can be something uh, that you think might happen. Um, have some fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is any chance of, of happening. Well, I mean, maybe a small chance of happening. But what I would want to see is that, um, okay, so the, the Patriots, you know, they get their, they secure their first round by in Foxborough, uh, in that divisional game in the playoffs, they get thrashed by, I don't know, say the Houston Texans or someone like that. Uh, they lose. Brady looks awful. The, the team's in disarray. 
and that and, and it all ends up swirling around and going back to those rumors we talked about about the Patriots loving Baker Mayfield. Bill Belichick knows how to make a trade. He knows when, when what what's good is what's good, and he comes over to the Browns and he's the next head coach of the Browns for the 2019 season. So that's my that's my hot take for what's going to happen. Bill Belichick back with the Cleveland Browns. I love that the analytics community is so on board with this because we wouldn't have heard this at the time of doing the pop, but the first show we had Eric Eager and that was exactly the same hot take of Bill Belichick <laughs> is the uh, head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So if it happens, I'll be sending lots of thank you to you two guys because I mean, that, that's kind of like the positive hot take. Like the, the negative hot take would be, I don't know, they trade like, two first round picks to get Gronk or something. <laughs> they just do something ridiculous to, to, cause these guys just love to throw stuff at quarterbacks. So that would be another hot take is that they make some like egregiously bad trade to get a wide receiver uh, on the decline or a tight end or someone to put around Baker Mayfield. But let's just hope that doesn't happen. No Rose, Thank you so much for coming on the show. For having me. Yeah. Just plug yourself, Twitter, where people can find your work. Sure, sure. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Cole underscore Kev. And like you mentioned, Roto Grinders, uh, we're a DFS company, but we're also doing some sports betting stuff. So I put out sports betting picks on a, on a weekly basis for models that I build, obviously all the different projections. And then I do different analyses for all the different types of games you can play on different DFS sites. So you can check out all my different, all my writing and projections there. Thank you very much. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. A fantastic follow from a data standpoint, but as well, some very entertaining uh takes and tweets at times so uh it's been really fun following you sort of, sort of the last year and uh have a great rest of the week obviously today is uh r.i.p sashi day but uh tomorrow is a positive new world yes it is thank you There's change